Well, welcome to the West is Best podcast. Um, we have a fun panel of camping aficionados this month. We have Alan Taggart from Oregon. He is an assistant professor of practice in Washington County. He's 100% 4-H. We have Travis Taylor. He is from Colorado State University, and he is a Golden Plains area livestock specialist. We have Craig Presar from West Virginia. He is a County 4-H youth development agent. We have Tiana Garcia from CSU, Colorado State University, who is a 4-H youth development specialist. And we have Kim Fry from Wyoming, a County 4-H educator. So uh, we're going to get started. And I am Marlena Greasy. I'm one of the Western Region Directors. And I will let Megan introduce herself. Hey, hey, I'm Megan. I am the other Regional Director. I'm excited for this topic. We've got a great panel today. Yes, I'm really excited too. And I think we have a lot of different types of camping programs. <clears throat> So um, we will go ahead for fun here. We're going to start off with what is your favorite memory or story from a camper conference? And there's crickets, Marlena. Travis was trying <laughs> to be frozen. Did you notice he was like, so, <laughs> I will go. Um, well, I will kick it off then. So my um, very first state conference, um, when I moved to Colorado from Nebraska, um, as an agent, we, uh, we took up a pretty good crew from our Southeast area and we got up there and the community service that year was, we were supposed to bring stuffed animals for, um, I believe kids in like, um, shelters, um, you know, homeless kids and families. Anyway, um, one of the animals got left behind in the van. It was a cat, which is funny because I'm the crazy cat lady of CSU Extension. But anyway, um, that cat still lives in our van. And the reason why, <laughs> seven years later, the cat is still there, is because when we got into the dorms on campus at CSU, um, our Southeast Area 4-H members decided it was going to be really fun to take the screens off the windows in the dorms and throw the animals back and forth. And somehow this turned into like somebody from off campus saw this and turned it into like the kids were like jumping back and forth between the windows. And then it got like they got called out like at the the big um, like welcome thing in the auditorium at CSU. And it was like, if you know, you know who you are, like you need to come forward. And it was this huge thing. And I was just like, I'd been on the job for a month and was just absolutely mortified. But the cat still lives in our van as a reminder of like, don't do silly things like take the screens off windows. But anyway, so that's a it's a fun memory. It was not fun at the time, but I look back on it with fondness now. So. So this is Travis Taylor, also from Colorado. Um, I'm going to go with my favorite memory is of our Western Heritage Camp at Fort Garland, Colorado, where we actually stayed in a military cavalry outpost um, with a bunch of kids and we're doing outdoor cooking skills and other things. But uh, my fond memory is sleeping in the barracks on the straw mattresses 
that I think the straw was from the 1800s um, in those mattresses and, and had turned into significant lumps. And as the night went on, kids would crawl out of those beds and sleep on the hard brick floor because it was softer than the straw mattresses. Go this ahead, is, Alan. This is Alan Taggart in Oregon, uh, Oregon State University, Oregon 4-H. I <coughs> will go with the memory that really caused me to pursue this kind of career was I grew up in Central Valley of California, and uh, um, we did outdoor school there, um, which means like all the fifth graders go to some kind of outdoor experience, and our elementary school was assigned to go in the beginning of February, where there was tons of snow still in the Sierra Nevadas. And so um, being there in the valley, we didn't get snow. And I remember going on the bus, and almost half of the kids on the bus had never seen snow in their life. And I remember just the magic of being there for a full week and realizing how much of an impactful experience this was for my peers. And I also really loved it. I was in scouts um, and I'm an Eagle scout and that, you know, really encouraged me to want to pursue outdoor education as a, a career. So that's definitely a memory that I uh, subscribe to and, and think about a lot. I guess uh, I've been, I've been doing this for a while. I was, a, I was a volunteer at 4-H camps. I'm sorry. I'm Craig Priester uh, from, it's not really the Western region, but I'm from West Virginia. So we'll, 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 we'll count that. There you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess I don't know. There's far too many experiences over the last, uh, I don't know, 45 years, 40, 40. I've been camping. I've been, a, I've been at least one week of camp every summer since 1976, except for the two years we did uh, COVID took a break for COVID uh, so there's a lot of different things, <laughs> a lot of really happy, funny memories. It's it's tough to narrow down to one, but I, I think I'd pick uh, in West Virginia 4-H. We we gather for camp. Well, a lot of people drop, gather for campfires, but it's every evening we we sit around a campfire in different groups, and we we uh, each group is tasked with coming up with songs and yells and chants and funny stunts, which are just acting out jokes and things like that, and. Uh, one of the things we like to do is uh, your group come up with something that's never been done and it, it can't fire before. And um, we were at state camp and generally those run in four year cycles. So everything that's everything's been done before, but the staff just kind of plays along like, Oh yeah, we, we, we haven't seen someone take a bath in a trash can before. Huh? But um, uh, <laughs> uh, one year uh, we had a young lady whose, whose family farm was nearby uh, just re literally just down the road from where the state 4-H camp is at Jackson's Mill. And um, she, as the kids came in, they made an announcement that everyone needed to sit perfectly still and not make any noise. And, and no matter what we saw, we weren't allowed to have any reaction whatsoever until it was over and done with. And we're all kind of scratching our heads. What is she about to do? And she walks in. Her dad had brought to her a dairy uh, dairy cow, uh, and she walked that cow in into the middle of the campfire circle there, and she proceeded to milk a cow at <laughs> campfire. <laughs> and of course, we all knew just don't spook that cow. Just don't spook the cow. And uh, 
So it was the most tense, exciting, hilarious four or five minutes of my life. It it, 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 was, it was hilarious and fun, but it was also terrifying because I thought I'm about to have a cow go on a rampage with 350 kids sitting around. So uh, it turned out fine. Uh, we made her promise never to do that again, but it was absolutely an, an exciting moment that is still talked about years and years later. So that's fantastic. And I think yeah. from from several of us here who are from the beef cattle world, um, yeah, dairy cows are terrifying. <laughs> yeah, there was, uh, she purposefully didn't tell anybody what she was doing because she knew we'd have said no. <laughs> so uh, those are the kind of fun, exciting things that you, you find yourself in. And, and uh, it turned out fine, but it was, uh, it will never, ever happen again. <laughs> so. so this is Kim Fry from Wyoming. And gosh, there's so many memories after all the years and different levels of being involved in camp. So currently I run the team camp counselors who run the camp. And so my favorite memory beyond the pranks and the silliness and the craziness, which is amazing in its own right, but it's a blue memory. So we had to cancel camp in 2020, like pretty much everybody had to. And so 2021 was just its own amazing beast and the connection with the teens and them all excited to be there and their relationships with the kids and we sent all the younger members home and we just like hugged and cried and just that amazing connection is probably my favorite memory. That's awesome. Yeah. 2021 was a year like that for a lot of us, I think just coming back and being able to see each other. Well, I guess I'm the last to go. I'm Tiana Garcia from Colorado um, and it's kind of tough for me because I got to go to like one of all of our camps before COVID happened. Um, and then obviously we didn't have anything, uh, but we do some regional camps. And I think that's probably where one of my favorite memories is from this past December, what we call cookie camp. Um, we have all the kids gather at one of our um, extension offices in our area and we do all kinds of cool stuff with them and then we spend the night. So um, at the camp, the weather was like 20 below. Um, and Marlena, she also helps at this camp. She'd had a dream that some kids got were going to get out and get locked out of the building in the cold. So we were already stressed because the kids are like on winter break mode. Then we just pumped them full of sugar. So they're crazy. Um and so we were all already like probably not going to get very much sleep and we were trying to go to sleep and it's quiet. And if you know Marlena, she's got her awesome cat, Mickey. So she brought her to the camp to spend the night with us, which was totally awesome. But it's finally quiet. The kids had finally gone to sleep. And then you just hear Mickey start like meowing and yowling really loud. And in the building that we're in, it's just like echoing. And all of us adults are like, oh, gosh, the kids are going to wake up now and we're never going to get any sleep. So luckily, Marlena finally got her calmed down and the cat went to bed and we all got a little sleep and the kids slept. So it ended up being OK, but it was just one of those funny like, oh, no, don't let the kids wake up moments. So that would have to be one of my favorite memories. Mickey the Wonder Cat. <laughs> 
Travis got in on that fun too. Okay, well, let's uh, get into the nitty gritty stuff here. So I guess we will just kind of go through and if you can kind of tell us a little bit about what kind of camps you work with and, um, you know, whether that's kind of like what Craig said at the beginning, um, you know, statewide, local, regional, um, if you have, if your state has an actual camp facility, um, you know, what kind of ages those camps are for, all of the above. So whoever would like to start. Well, I'll fire off for you, Marlena. Travis Taylor here, Colorado State again. I work as a state 4-H officer team advisor, and our officer team puts on three different camps throughout the year. A, a youth fest, which we just finished up this past weekend. Um, we have a um, leadership camp for, I'm going to say middle school age, 11 to 13, we call CLC. And that is for um, in the November time range, October, November. And then we have our state conference um, in June and we have our leadership development conference in January. So I get to go about quarterly someplace here in the state of Colorado to work with the state officer team putting those on. Um, I also deal with some different camps that Marlena has gotten me into. I'm the dishwasher for cookie camp, which is an overnight camp um, for kids. We came in and do Christmas cookies, um, usually right ahead of the Christmas holiday season. And then Western Heritage Camp is something we started and um, we haven't got it back up and running since the COVID time period. But prior to COVID, um, we were doing Western Heritage skills, outdoor cooking, um, tracking other events that I deal with. But uh, my real tie to camp these days as a livestock specialist is being with the state officer team and watching a group of young people blossom as they try to figure out how to handle their peers or younger 4-H members. Alan, would you like to uh, share your camp experience yeah, I'm really, and I'm taking notes as we're doing this because I love learning the other camps across the nation and how 4-H does it because I I grew up again in scouts. Um, I came to 4-H um, halfway through my college career and realized the extent of everything that we do. And one thing that I've always admired is that um, coming from Idaho 4-H to now here in Oregon 4-H, using high school age youth to be counselors, to be the ones planning and executing camps. And um, that's what we do in Oregon 4-H. We're actually, um, it's interesting post-COVID, you know, mentioning like how we're catching up. You know, there's a whole crop of brand new CITs or, or what we call counselors in training that are coming into being counselors now. And we're trying to make sure that they're just welcomed and feel like they're equipped with the leadership skills they, they need. And so we have um, 36 counties in Oregon and each county has some tie into a camp. And so we're doing an outdoor leadership training where we're inviting all the camps, all the counselors to come converge on our Oregon for each center, which is our one university owned camp um, that hosts several different sessions. Um, we also have other locations that are kind of like the go to spots, like out in Eastern Oregon that are not like 4-H owned necessarily, but they always go there. 
and um, yeah, a lot of overnight camps, a lot of day camps, and um, it's it's a lot of fun. One thing that I get to work with in my county uh, since 1982, we've had the 4-H wagon train camp, and it's very unique. It's exactly what it sounds like. We actually have real-life wagons, and we go into the wilderness with mules and oxen and horses and have the kids for a week-long trek on the actual Oregon Trail and they have to do the outdoor cooking. Like, I, so I want to learn about the Western heritage. It's like, maybe there's a way to feed into this, but it's really a unique um, experience. And that we really market it as a family camp because we do need the adult support, that adult youth partnership to make that happen safely. Because um, we don't want kids, you know, uh, getting caught with the wagons or, or things. We, we want to make practice safety. But um, there's a lot of kids who walk, a lot of kids that ride in the wagons, a lot of kids that ride their horses. So really excited to uh do that um this summer i only got to do their practice run last year and now that i'm my full year here in oregon get to participate in that this year awesome that sounds really cool and really hard the wagon train camp (laughs) i'm not sure i could handle that Well, Craig, you gave us a little bit um, of a background of what West Virginia does, but um, if you would like to go into a little more depth, here's your moment. Yeah, I I gave a little teaser there at the beginning there. Uh, I think it was before we started recording, though, but um, yeah, uh, West Virginia, I'll go ahead and brag on us just a a little bit. Uh, West Virginia was the site of the very first 4-H camp. Camping was done before that, but the first 4-H camp was held in West Virginia and 1915, I think, 1912, 1912, uh, in Randolph County, about uh, about half an hour from where I live. Uh, and in 1922, um, the very first state 4-H camp was uh, was held. Uh, the WVU, West Virginia University, bought purchased a parcel of land from the Jackson family in Lewis County and uh, where the Jacksons had their mill. And um, so Jackson's Mill became the very first state 4-H camp in, in the country as well. And back, uh, we still, uh, by and large, run our camping programs pretty similarly to um, the way those were done those first years. We no longer ask the kids to cook their own food <laughs> and make their own and, and actually cr- create their own beds using straw, tick, you know, ticking and, and straw and things like that. But um, as far as the way camps are are built and the, and the process we use and the, and the programs we use, uh, very similar setups. Um, every county in West Virginia has a, uh, at least one week of 4-H camp each summer. We have 55 counties. Uh, many of our camps, many of our counties actually have camping facilities in their in their own county dedicated as 4-H camps. Um, um, there are several camps that will all use the same site. Um, some ca- some counties actually use Jackson's Mill as their week of 4-H camp, um, but everyone everyone has camp. Uh, and then we have the three weeks of state 4-H camp each year at, at Jackson's Mill, uh, and all of those are run uh, volunteers. There are no paid staff other than w- WVU Extension employees. Uh, handling the programming. Uh, many of our camps will have their own kitchen staff and things like that to go along with their camp. Uh, but many also uh, have volunteers come in to do the cooking as well. So um, it's very, very largely uh, volunteer based, which causes, uh, we'll talk about challenges 
uh, <laughs> a little bit later in the, in the program, but um, that's just the way we've done it. Um, and that's it. We've been successful and, and um, our volunteers are a huge part of what we do in West Virginia 4-H camping. Um, we also have um, uh, several weekend camps at Jackson's Mill. Um, we've got, and those are more specific. We have STEM camp and code coding camp and um, coming up here fairly soon is our ultimate outdoor weekend experience or ultimate outdoor experience, which grew out of our shooting sports camps. Um, but we'll offer workshops to the kids uh, in all five of the 4-H shooting sports uh, areas, uh, as well as offer um, canoeing and, and kayaking, uh, fly fishing, uh, mountain biking, uh, hiking, and, you know, other kinds of uh, fun outdoor activities. That's that's the big one that's coming up next for us. Uh, we also have a dance training camp, uh, which gives kids um, a, a full weekend of, of dance. Uh, we do a lot of dancing at, at county at 4-H camps in general. Uh, what we call what we call folk dance. It's it's a lot of line dances, but the, we also do some international folk dances as well. Uh, and dance dance weekend is all about coming and dancing, whether that. That might be hula dancing. It might be Morris dancing, old, uh, you know, uh, round dances uh, to uh, jazz and hip hop dancing and ballroom dancing and all kinds of different things. So um, that 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 personally is my favorite weekend because <laughs> it's a, it's just a lot of fun and it's it's fun on a on a Saturday night to see four hundred kids square dancing. It's uh, you don't see a whole lot of square dancing done by teenagers anymore these, these days. So. There's that. So fun uh, fact about Tiana. She's actually I'm just, been I'm a square dancing coach. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. Oh, Tiana has been a square dancing coach before. Oh, okay. Great. Great. Right? Tiana, you, you'll have to come yeah. visit us. So in uh, the town where I grew up, the high school there has uh, what we call Santa Fe Trail Day every year. Um, and it's just celebrating like the Santa Fe Trail Day or Santa Fe Trail going through um, but one of the things they do that day is they have a square dance competition. So, yes, I was roped in a few years ago to being a coach for that. That's great. That's great. Craig, I wanted to ask when you have, so you have county 4-H camps that are, I assume, pretty fluid and open in content. Is mm-hmm. it the comparable at the state 4-H camps as well, or are those more geared towards a specific project or skill set? Um, it, it's it's enough the same that kids will find it familiar. Um, there we do some we do some separate things uh, simply because of the the campground facilities are uh, a little more special, I guess. Uh, and our county camps will have uh, they'll range in size from like 38 kids at our smallest to 200 kids that are at the largest. Uh, but at state camp, it's no, it's not uncommon. We're rebuilding after COVID, but before COVID, it wasn't uncommon for our state camps to have as many as 300, 350 kids at a time. Uh, and so uh, that, that in itself is, is a big change from county camp where the good chance, you know, everybody, <laughs> um, especially in some of our smaller counties. Uh, but, when you get to state camp, it opens the doors to a whole lot of, a whole lot more diversity, um, a whole lot more uh, 
yeah, just just a whole lot more personalities and, and uh, just a new type of learning, social learning. So that answered the question. Yeah, thank you. I didn't know um, as a Ohio 4-H'er, so your neighbor there, um, our state level camps were geared to a specific topic. So, for example, they would go up north to the lakes and have sea camp or they would um, at Camp Ohio, they would have leadership camp. And they so they were all geared kind of to a, a specific thing that we were doing when we would go to those. And I didn't know if that's how West Virginia's model was set up also. Our, our three state camps, um, we've got one facility, one state camping facility. So that, that, you know, we can't do like Virginia, which has one by the beach and one in the mountains and one near an airstrip and things like that. Um, we've got, we've got one that's in deep in the heart of West Virginia, in, in the middle of West Virginia. Um, so that kind of limits those types of the, you know, especially the ecology kinds of things and stuff. We've got one, we've got a river <laughs> and we've got a field. Um, that's, <laughs> but, um, well, and some hills and stuff like that with, you know, for our, uh, adventure course and things like that. Um, but our, our three weeks of state camp do we, our first one, uh, which is our oldest camp is called older members conference. And that's geared, that is very much geared towards leadership. Um, and, um, Folks are encouraged to take what you learn at, at older members conference and take it back to your counties and things like that. Um, and, and, and take back to county programs. Our other two camps are called Alpha One and Alpha Two. And, um, those grew out of, um, back before Title Nine. Uh, we would have West Virginia Boys State Camp and West Virginia Girls State Camp. And in 1979, they passed the Title Nine Act and, and said, no, 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 we, you got to go. You got to go co-ed, which was great. Uh, no one's complaining, <laughs> but it, it became, you know, necessary to combine the two. Uh, and they had for two years, they did what they called the alpha experience, which is combining these state boys and girls camps. Uh, and then they just got to be so big, they had to break it into two weeks because they couldn't house. They, you, you, we didn't have room for 500 campers. Uh, so we did two weeks with 250. Uh, and, um, uh, and so that's just been Alpha One and Alpha Two ever since, and they, that's much more towards uh, self-discovery, self-development kinds of things. Uh, we we have at sta- at Alphas we have what we call grow groups, uh, which are very specific. Sixteen-year-olds will be in a in a small group with with eight other or ten other sixteen-year-olds, uh, and twelve-year-olds with twelve-year-olds, and um, and so on. Um, I failed to mention earlier. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I'm taking up all the time. Uh, West Virginia also camps. You can camp until you're 21. Uh, we know, we recognize that, um, that youth development continues well on past their, uh, it, well into the twenties. Uh, and, uh, so we go, we go nine to 21. Now we don't have all those kids. We don't have nine year olds hanging out with 21 year olds. Um, uh, but we do have, we do camp until 21. Uh, there's a, re- Again, challenges we'll talk about in a bit, but there's a real, we do a lot of background checking and all of those kids are vetted before you come to camp as a, as an 18 year old and uh, uh, before you're in camp with minor children. But um, uh, that creates a lot of opportunities for us. Anyway, so uh, there's that. I'm going to stop talking and, and give somebody else a chance. I, I, I apologize for, for kind of uh, 
<laughs> taking over here. No, thank you. I am fascinated with the West Virginia camp model myself, um, coming from that part of the country to the West where it's not nearly as um, entrenched here in Wyoming. And hopefully Kim will talk about that next. But it's been a pretty steep learning curve is coming from a background of camp to um, a state where maybe that's not quite as, it's not a pillar of the program in the way that it is back home. Kim can take it from there. Yes. Perfect segue. Yes. Thank you, Megan. Yeah. So Megan and I are both from Wyoming now. Megan's here from Wyoming. And our we don't have any state camp facilities. Each county is on their own. So it's, it's um, challenging. Definitely challenging that each educator in the county-based is in charge of their own programs. So here in my county, we have three different types of camps that I do. We take kids to a facility and do 4-H camp. We have a summer day camp, which is, I'll just describe in a second, but just day during the summer. And then we have a Cloverbud day camp as well. So our 4-H camp, that is for our traditional 8 to 18 members, and we bus 200 kids about an hour and a half away to a facility, and it's just lodge and cabins, and we have to bring everything, cook, food, supplies, all of that, and we do rifle, canoeing. So each year, the method of the camp is the same, except we have a different theme, and that's how things change from year to year. And we have 14 to 18-year-olds be camp counselors. Last year was the first year that we tried CITs. Um, And so we're kind of on the trial and error and how does that go based on what you all and others who are very experienced in the CIT suggest and what works best for our county. And let's see. So... That is just a Sunday through Friday for the camp counselors. And then the kiddos come Monday through Thursday for that 4-H camp. So, yeah, it's a lot of work, very exhausting. You all understand the exhaustion of camp, but a great time. The next structure that we have is our summer day camp. And that we hire staff for. And it is a Monday through Friday 8-5 to camp where they go through and do project-based learning, but it's also very recreational. So it's housed at a school in town and they bike to the lake, they bike to the movie theater, they bike to hands-on pottery or wherever they choose to go and do a lot of recreation in that method. And that one's geared for elementary age students. This year, we're adding a couple of the 13, 14-year-olds to see the ones that are well-behaved and want to be there and not too cool for school to, you know, just kind of be there and help because it can be a lot when you're biking with 40 kids. So that, that camp is 40 kids a day with the hired staff. And then the third one that we do here is a Cloverbud day camp. And that is a three day just in the morning camp. And the, we have interns and they're in charge of that. And so I help guide them in their theme and what activities they do try to have stem and craft and snack and activity and game and you know those good components of a regular 4-h camp but that's for five to seven year olds 
I believe there's about 25 kids for that every year that we do. And Wyoming is unique as well as that because it's not, we don't have state 4-H camps. Um, We don't have any state 4-H camp policies or procedures. And so one of the things that Kim and I talk about a lot is what are those standards? What are those expectations? Because there are so few of us doing it in our state, we're developing our own policies and trying to run it by each other to make sure that we're doing it safely also. So that kind of answers my question. Sorry. (laughs) No, no. I was just going to add on to that. And so, yeah, Megan and I created a Wyoming counselor camp in methods of what other states have done for training their counselors and open it up to some of the components are open to any teams, but trying to find some regularity or sharing of that knowledge because there's not much structure here in Wyoming for that on a statewide level. Which is a good question, not to interrupt you, Marlena, I'm sorry. But one question is, how many of you work at camps that are certified from the American Camp Association? Or do you certify through another avenue or at all? Well, I can I can speak for those on the state officer deal. And I apologize. I'm going to have to jump here from this podcast here in just a few seconds. But uh, no, ours... We have our our state camps, which I would hope would be certified at at some point in time, but we do not have that at this current time. Um, I think it's something that I would encourage people to look into if they have the ability to do so. Um, You know, ours come through the state 4-H office and at the grace of the state 4-H office in Colorado that we can have those. So, yeah, it would be something I think would be worth looking into and i was so excited when we were talking about some of the different camps here today because now i want to use my professional development dollars to go to west virginia or oregon and i for lack of a better word schlepped stuff around for them just so i can get some new ideas same well and i'm I'm thinking I want megan and kim because i just brought up this idea to a couple people over the weekend I want to do a camp counselor session during state conference that kids can go to. So then they can, when they go to Youth Fest and help as a counselor, or they can go home to their home county and help with Cloverbud Camp or whatever. Um, But I think Megan and Kim should come teach that at state conference. Just throwing that out there. Hey, Travis, we're in the process of trying to identify our our summer volunteer staff this summer. And we as as I'm sure the case is all over the country, we could gen- genuinely use mail. So come on down. I'll put you to work. Well, <laughs> you got to stay. You got to stay in the cabin with the ten year olds, though. That's the uh, problem. You know, I, I relate <laughs> to a ten year old, Craig. So I, I'm I'm about that level most of the time. Um, so you know, I would be. It would be something if it doesn't interfere with our fair season. I don't know when your camping season is for sure, but. June and July. Yeah. June and July. We could yeah. probably make that happen and it would be good. <laughs> we'll talk good to get there. Okay. We'll talk. <laughs> I have to jump off this, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy the rest of your conversation. Thank you, Travis. Thank you. Tiana, I might make you talk about your experience as a state officer on the next question. <laughs> That's not a problem. 
I just want to say before I talk about the camps we do, I think if we had a dance camp like West Virginia has, so they could come learn how to dance and get all the dancing out of their system, then we wouldn't have to have one to two dances at every camp we have already. And I would be thrilled if that could be a thing. I love that idea. That sounds fantastic. So, okay, here's another idea out there. What if there was a camp counselor exchange program or like staff exchange or there's like that, it's like, hey, come see this camp or come see, that would just be, that's something that I have, there could be a lot of, I mean, we already do the other exchange stuff. We do stuff within the state and from state to state and internationally, throwing that out there. That's cool. I think that'd be great. I've tried to get to Megan's for many years, but can't even get across Wyoming. So we need to make this happen. Actually, that's a real popular uh, thing in West Virginia is we, we do regional, as far as counties, regional uh, camp staff training. So we're not, so not every agent is doing things over and over and over again. So we'll, you know, we're, we're compact enough that we'll take five and four and five counties and in a region and, and have our staff trainings together. Uh, and that, that's been real popular. And of course with COVID that's, it's also forced us to do a little bit of video, uh, conferencing, uh, and, um, and video workshops and things like that. So kid folks can, can do them at their, at their leisure as well. So sit at home in your underwear and, and, and go to camp training. So that's, yeah. One thing I will jump the ACA conversation. Um, that's really important because, uh, just again, from risk management standpoint, it, unfortunately, we live in a world. It's not if you will be sued; it's when you will be sued. And the only things that stand up in court were will be one: did you follow the law? And two: were you following the best practices of the professional association that you would be technically under? Which for camps is American Camp Association. And I think you know, uh, there's other youth serving organizations that do camps as well. But you know, for us, like thankfully, we are tied to universities. But it is important to still, if not certified with ACA as a program or as a facility because there's two certifications you can do. You can certify your facility, you certify your program um, or both, I think. Anyways, it's important to just at least be in line as much as you can if you're not there yet. That was something I was working on with Idaho 4-H, with our camp. Um, Thankfully, the Oregon 4-H Center does have an ACA certification as a facility. And so that's nice. But again, like that's not going to be the reality for every state in the United States running for each camp. So. And is that a conversation that comes up often in our national association working like the camping and environmental education working group? I am not on that one. Kim has gone, I think a couple different times, but I don't know. I know that that's a big push for it. I should say. If you were looking to learn more about that. Lots of head nodding. <laughs> I've never, I, that's uh, the hard thing about NAE4HYDP is choosing a work group because there's like five that I want to be on all at the same time. And so the, unfortunately they haven't been one of those, but they, I know I've hear that you're very active and are a great resource. So anyone listening, join the camping group because they're amazing. So Tiana, um, the camps that you've worked with are a little bit different um, altogether than what we've heard so far. Yeah, I feel like compared to what everyone else does, they're not really camps. We just call them camps. Um, but um, They're totally camps. They're overnight and we're sleeping in a sleeping bag. So, 
You're not wrong. When Travis was talking earlier about the the straw mattresses being hard, I was sort of having flashbacks to sleeping on the hard extension office floor, but we survived. Um, so we do two camps, um, kind of, they just kind of started for our kids in our, our district. Um, but they've sort of grown, um, which is cool. The first one that we started was cookie camp that I talked about earlier. Um, but the kids come on Christmas break and spend the night and we do, um, various different kind of cooking, baking things. Um, they learn about, um, a lot of stuff, kitchen safety, um, cooking, the inaugural one, they just made kind of Christmas cookies. Um, and then we learned our lesson. We filled them full of hot chocolate the first night and we did not do that the second time around. Um, and then the next morning they do, um, more cooking and baking stuff and, we have them spend the night overnight at the one extension office. Um, it has a, a nice um, big meeting room that also has a teaching kitchen in it. Um, so that's kind of uh, what we do with that one. Um, and then after the inception of that camp, we kind of got to talking about the possibility of having one over spring break. Um, so we have what we call Project Runway, um, and that camp focuses on the Bymanship project that we have in Colorado, which is fairly new, um, and it's only for intermediates and seniors, unfortunately. Honestly, I think that if they opened it up to all age groups, that would be awesome, um, but we take the kids to a thrift store. Um, we give them $30 out of their registration fee to shop at the thrift store for their new outfit outfits. Um, some of them are very thrifty and buy three or four outfits on their $30, which is super cool. Um, and then the next morning we have a mock fashion review because um, that's also a project area that in our corner of the state has seen some decline. Um, and not a lot of kids are either in the different clothing projects or they don't want to do fashion review if they are. Um, so just kind of to get them some exposure to, hey, fashion review isn't really that scary. Um, so that's kind of what we do. That's how they're structured. Both camps, we take them to the same extension office um, and have those kids stay. So far, uh, Project Runway, we have only seen um, girls attending. It is open to anybody. Um, but Cookie Camp, we have boys and girls, so kind of getting creative of the boys stay in this con conference room and the girls are over here and the agents are in the hall. That's interesting, but we've, we've made it work. So that's what we do. Um, and just this past year, so we had Project Runway two weeks ago over spring break, um, and we did end up having some counties from uh, the West Slope come over. So what started out as just kind of a district level camp is kind of blossoming into anybody that wants to come, come on over. So that's what we do in the Southeast area of Colorado. The first time we did cookie camp, I was really just expecting, like I, I go to Tiana and Lacey and I'm just like, I have an idea and I'm sure they're just like cringing in the background, but um this was my idea. And I thought, you know, the three of us, we'd have like a dozen girls and we could just handle this. It would be fine. And then the first kid to sign up was a boy. And I was like, um, so Lacey, can Travis come 
be a male chaperone for this. So that's how Travis got looped in. Um, but then our first year of cookie camp, we ended up with 48 kids. So um, we ended up, we were supposed to have over 50 this year and weather and illness um, knocked that down to 30 some. But um, yeah, they're hits. Cookie camp and Project Runway have been a hit. Yes, okay, we may, may, may I ask a logistics question? I'm so intrigued by this. So oven space. Do you do you like bake everything there or do you come like pre-made cookies ready to decorate? This is just fascinating. I love this idea of cookie camp. We have them. Oh, sorry, Tiana, you're supposed to be the one talking about them. <laughs> you go for it. No, you're totally fine. Um, so we we have them all in group groups. Um, so the groups are a little larger just because we have so many kids. I think last year we had six or seven groups of kids um but there's there's two ovens in the kitchen in the space that we're in so we kind of limit the amount of cookies we actually let them make um but luckily we can kind of work it where they they mix the cookies they get them all made and then we have them do some other fun activities while we kind of manage getting the cookies in and out of the oven um the one recipe that we did this this year, um, the morning after, we had a little contest. So we gave them just a basic kind of um, recipe. And then they had to pick from a list of all these different options that they could add in, um, their add-ins. And they, they came up with a poster to kind of um, advertise what their cookie was. They named it. Then they had to present to some judges that we had come in from the community um, and why they thought their cookie was going to be the best. Um, so those cookies, they actually only baked three or four um, out of that batch is kind of what they seemed to merit from, from their batch of cookies. So that helped us kind of move, move through um, as far as baking and things, but we've kind of gotten it down just knowing, okay, this is how long it takes. And one or two of us is on top of just rotating the cookies through the oven while the other uh, two of us manage activities or dishwashing, things like that. Um, and it's kind of been funny to see, I guess, and Marlena could touch on this going into it. You know, we knew like we're doing cookie camp and this is what we're doing, but everyone just kind of found their little, their their niche of where oh this is what I'm going to handle and did it so there wasn't a lot of running around craziness um kind of like we had anticipated and so the second time through we all knew oh this is what we're good at so we just did it and went and so I don't know if that answers your logistics question um as far as what you might have been wondering but we just kind of figure out what needs to be done and and do it well I love that it's a combination of where it's something local, but it's still an overnight experience. It's something that they tangibly do. There's also the entrepreneurship spin. It's almost like Shark Tank, I imagine, or like easily could probably get some local bakeries or even like Crumble or Chip or those other new cookie companies like coming in and sponsoring, you know, like that just is a really cool, unique offering that, um, so again, like last what year, oh, last year we actually did have a local baker um, come in and show them how to use royal icing. Um, so that was a, a pretty fun partnership. And then, um, shoot, there was something I was going to say, and now I can't remember. 
Well, and, and so this, this past one that we had over Christmas break, we had um, an educator from Wisconsin. Um, she zoomed in and her recipe was the one that we used the night before. Um, and I think it was sweet potato cookies, if I remember correctly, that they did. And the kids, it was very funny because at first they were all super grossed out. They're like, we don't want potatoes in our cookies. That's nasty. This is going to be awful. Um, and then the next morning we let them sample the cookies and they were like, oh, these are the best cookies ever. So it was funny just watching them. They were so opposed to having something new in their cookie and then it ended up being a hit. Um, so we've also had those kind of connections as well. And I know we'll talk about it a little bit later on, um, but we have some of our older members come and they're kind of like the group leaders. So they they facilitate a lot of the the heavy lifting while we're um, kind of managing things like baking and getting dinner ready and, and things like that. So it's been a really, really fun experience, I think, other than everyone's on Christmas break. They're amped up because it's almost Christmas. Then we fill them full of tons of sugar. And That's right. Somehow we get through. Um, but during there's times where we're like, oh, we cannot give these kids any more sugar or we're going to lose our minds. So Right. Well, and I love that idea of zooming in because I'm thinking of so my all of my wife's family is from Hawaii and um, ube is uh, it's like a purple sweet potato. And that's a really popular um, addition to. So like what if there were. There was a Hawaiian educator zooming in. It's like, okay, your challenge, your secret ingredient is ube. And they're like, what? No. Like, and then they have to figure out, it's like, oh, this is actually pretty good. And um, exposing other cultures or just other desserts. And that's, again, what Travis was saying earlier of, hey, whoa, I never thought of this type of camp idea. Um, and hopefully people listening in are kind of getting that same uh, viewpoint. I find it interesting, those who can do like a project-specific camp versus just like a summer youth development camp and how do, does that then translate into a summer camp experience? They feel more comfortable um, going away from home and trying, trying it yes. for a longer period of time. Is that something that you guys picking on cookie camp? Is that some, a mechanism that you use to try to say now try come back out in the summer and let's try it again and we'll do something similar. So I know it's very much that way in my county. Um, Tiana, has that been? Yeah, and one thing I've seen, um, and I guess because we, jumping ahead a little bit, our our two camps are <laughs> open ages 8 to 18. Um, just so we would, um, we did that initially to hopefully gain more participation, which Cookie Camp, I don't think we would have needed to, we could have picked an age group and we probably still have 30 to 40 kids. Um, but I think that is unique in the fact that, you know, like most of our camps in Colorado, they can't go to until they're 11. So that exposes those younger uh, kids to camp going overnight. Also, most of them can go to camp then with an older sibling or somebody from the county um, that they know you know, hey, this cool big kid is going and I get to go with them. So it helps just ease them through that overnight camp experience, being away from mom and dad, um, because they can come with an older sibling or, you know, somebody older from their county that they look up to um, and just makes it that seamless transition. So when they are old enough to go to 
um, one of the state camps, you know, they've been somewhere overnight without mom and dad. We already know what we're doing at camp. We're excited. Um, so I think that's another unique thing um, that our camps offer those younger kids that don't get to go to state camps. Because what and I'm another... finding, oh, sorry. What I'm finding is that a lot of our um, changing of parents is what I'm, I'm noticing and observing here recently. And a lot of our young people are not um, going on judging trips or they're not going on opportunities without mom and dad riding along. But what, interestingly, what I found is that mom and dad are letting them go to 4-H camp without them. And sometimes that's the best gift that we're given um, in our profession is that mom and dad are going to stay home and let you come do this all by yourself with me. That's great. Um, it's such a different something about I won't let Megan take them to Showcase Showdown, which is our state 4-H competitive event. Um, but I sure as heck will let Megan take my kid for a week to 4-H camp. That's not a problem. Go for it. So one benefit that I've had, because they're both in one of my counties, is um, we've opened them up to enrolled 4-H members and not enrolled or just community youth. And I've gained several 4-H members from those camps. Um, so I think I gained three from Cookie Camp this year and a couple from Cookie Camp the year before. And about half of the kids from Otero and Crowley counties, um, which are my counties, are not enrolled 4-H members that attend those camps. So, Yeah, that's the kind of the, 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 uh, the, the track I take on my county camps, especially, is if they're not 4-Hers when they come to camp, hopefully they'll be 4-Hers when they leave. <laughs> so, um, and, and that's, 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 that's been a, a pretty successful thing for us. I do want to say that we have something similar. We do something similar. We have a first-year camper overnight. Uh, about three weeks before, uh, well, it's 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 before camp registrations close. It's about two weeks before camp registration closes. We'll have a first year camper overnight uh, designed for our younger campers who've who've not been away. And I think that's as much a a, a practice for the kids to to uh, to not be afraid. We, we've noticed it, it cuts down on homesickness uh, and and just general. <laughs> it helps the kids be more at ease when they get to camp, but it also lets mom and dad get used to the idea that their kids are are ready to spend the night away too. Um, a lot of times they'll come and say, well, I don't think this is going to work. I, I, you may be calling me and let me, you know, have me come to get them tonight. And then the next day when they're, when, when they come to pick them up and, and little Timmy's got, you know, I want to do this a lot. <laughs> um, it's a, oh, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe he doesn't need me as much as, as I would like him to. So uh, anyway, there's that. So you, that's been, that's been a real benefit to us uh, as far as getting kids in to come to camp. So such a growing experience all the way around. It's uh, transformative and I'm noticing it's transformative for our kids who come and participate and our um, teenagers who lead the charge, but also for our parents who think, well, I'm going to hear from you tonight, Megan. They're not, they're going to get real homesick on you real fast. And oddly enough, that phone call never happens. It's so crazy. Uh, Tiana and I had the joy this last weekend of taking three girls to youth fest who they were all mine, I will take full responsibility, but their first camp was cookie camp um, a year ago. So 
a year ago last December. And um, one of them, two of them were pretty shy and quiet and a little unsure because it was their first for all three of them as their first overnight camping experience. Let me tell you this weekend, there was no fear. There was no shyness. There was nothing. Um, yep. Not, not one bit <laughs> in good ways and bad. <laughs> so let's um, roll into some of the leadership roles that you offer at camps. We've talked a little bit about them um, but I think there's probably, um, some more that we can talk about. Um, and there's a couple of studies here, um, that Megan and I have dropped in the agenda, um, just around some of those beneficial workforce career development skills, um, that, you know, HR agents are going to be looking for in their employees that these, um, counselor opportunities can help youth build. So um, yeah, whoever would like to start off. I hope you talk about being a CIT, Kim, or Alan. Yeah, I'll jump in real quick. Um, I think one thing that's really interesting, you know, just observing from state to state that everyone trains their counselors differently. There's some excellent resources out there that I have used um, both from Kentucky and Florida um, to train camp counselors, um, whether they be counselors in training that are might be eighth or ninth graders, and then more to the what are sometimes called junior counselors or senior counselors. And having a progression like that, or or just that spectrum can be really powerful because, again, your campers see the CITs and the counselors, oh, I want to be like that. And then they apply to be a CIT. And the CITs say, oh, I can't wait to be a counselor. And then they stick around to do that. But it's also an expectation that it, uh, so I don't know who said it earlier of, you are not too cool for school. You're here to work. You're here for the campers rather than I'm here for myself to have fun. Like, yes, you will have fun being at camp. That is going to happen, but that is not your purpose. And being very clear in your trainings that almost that they're a customer service person, like the, those skills of customer service that your client, your customer are your campers, making sure they are taken care of. But um, it's also unique because you're going to be with these kids 24-7 for five, six business days. <laughs> so you want to, you know, also have them realize their limits and and be able to have tools to uh, manage any discipline or behavioral things that are going on, but also know that staff will be there to help you. Like you're not doing this all by yourself. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a multifaceted thing, but having that set up, I think there's a good, some good templates out there already existing in the 4-H verse that, uh, can be helpful. So, yeah. And we had already talked about Wyoming and our structure or lack thereof. And so what we do for our 4-H camp, we have our teens get training but it's a quick 24 hour wham, bam, thank you, ma'am training. Um, so we try to go over some of the risk management, but then also working with the kids and how to work with homesickness. That was one thing that we talked about here on the podcast and going through what's happening for the camp and where are all the stations and, and all of that. We also have planning groups, which is something I stole from Megan and her Ohio and other side of the United States myth. Um, and so that some of those teens already come prepared knowing how to do some of the camp songs and 
do campfire. And oh, Megan says West Virginia, not Ohio. So it, it is West Virginia. Uh, <laughs> so those teams come with having some of that knowledge because it is such a quick training time. Yeah, so I maybe I didn't steal this from West Virginia. I don't know. I stole it from where I did 4-H camp, which stole it from West Virginia. Um, but we involve our um, counselor, our teenagers, our counselors, and our CITs too, because I bring them along for the party, to plan the evening recreation, to plan the flag ceremonies, to plan all of the classes, all the bits and pieces that happen during camp. The teenagers, the older members, that's their jobs. I really am just there to help them think through those, what we're going to do on Tuesday night and, and what supplies we need. And then they write it down and I go buy it. And um, that's really the extent of it for us. And that's something that I have held on to since I, I was a counselor myself 800 years ago. So where'd that come from, Craig? Was that West Virginia? Was that you? Uh, that that sounds like us, yeah. yeah. Uh, I won't say that it originated here. Uh, we probably stole it from somebody else as well. Uh, but that's you know that's uh, that's part of the whole. You know, if, um, if we want to go back a few years, we're talking about thrive stuff now. But uh, five six years ago, we were talking about essential elements and uh, that mastery and independence uh, thing. Kids, kids, we when you give give a kid a chance to to have a direct effect on the way the camp runs and be a direct involvement with camp. The buy-in is so much, so much more um, meaningful to them. And it's so much, uh, if, if I have a camp, if I've got a group of kids uh, who haven't had a chance to help plan, haven't had a chance to, to, to do things, which was partly the case coming out of COVID um, we had, we have a whole lot more, um, behavior issues. Uh, but I, I will tell you that the kids who help plan will, will shut down any misbehavior right away. Uh, at, that's, that's, that's also a favorite moment. I, I, I heard that one of my shy, quiet little girls, young women, sorry, one of my shy, quiet young women, uh, who, uh, doesn't normally say much of anything, but she's there and she helped plan our camp. And, uh, there were some boys who were, really in danger of crossing some lines. And uh, she sat them down and said, you are not going to ruin this for the rest of us. We have worked too hard and you are not going to ruin this for us and take this away from us. And uh, that, that slowed those boys down far more than anything I could have, I could have any counseling I could have done with them. Um, And it was just exciting to see her take that kind of leadership and take that kind of, um, uh, yeah, take that stance uh, because she was invested and, and and her peers were invested in that. So, I love that. I love when you get to actively watch that happen. Um, I love that. We have many of those moments ourselves here in Wyoming, in my county, and it's a beautiful thing when I know that I hear it. Um, so we have to be our own. We have to be our own nurse. We have to be be our own chef. We have to be our own everything. So what happens a lot is at meal times, I rely on the teenagers to do what they're trained to do so that I can be in the kitchen finishing up the supper. And I heard something, this is a couple years ago, so forgive my memory, but it was something to the effect of, we don't need Megan to solve this. I'm going to solve it right now. 
And I peeked around the corner, and sure enough, these young people, these teenagers were telling these kids that if they didn't figure out how to fly right, <laughs> we were going to just lay on our uh, bunks and uh, stare at the ceiling for the next hour and a half. And I thought, I'll just go back in here and make tacos. They don't need me. I love that, though, that they are passionate enough to, this is our camp, and you're not going to ruin it for the rest of us. We worked really hard on this. Um, that buy-in, because it seems as though they are um, losing some abilities. They are just the nature of our kids and our families are changing. They don't buy into things the way they used to. But, man, when you get them up into your camp facility, they own it. It's theirs. You're not going to tolerate any kind of shenanigans. Yeah, I love that, too. Here, before I started in the role I'm in now, it was very much the two chair and co-chair, they plan everything for the group. The adults lead the sessions. There's no other input. And so trying to get that buy-in so that the kids feel confident and they want to come back and they want to teach and get all those skills is amazing. So please share more of those ideas. That's amazing. So I'm actually going to pick on Tiana because she, um, as a 4 h was a state officer. Um, and our state officers here in Colorado are as Travis mentioned um, a lot of doing a lot of the planning and leading of the activities sometimes at our, not sometimes, um, all of the time at um, those state, statewide camps. So Tiana, I'm going to have you talk a little bit about your experience. Yeah. So real quick, kind of to touch on what, what Craig and, and Megan were talking about. So this past um, LDC, which is a, a conference for our older um members here in Colorado, uh, they decided that the topics they were going to talk about in their workshop were essentially how to be respectful and compromise when you're working with other leaders that have varying opinions, which I think, you know, in today's society, that is a very important skill to have. But teaching teenagers, that is very difficult because, you know, you have a lot of emotions and passion about varying opinions and, um, So in one of the groups, you know, there was a lot of um, disagreement because there were opposing um, views and opinions. And yes, teenagers, they got out of hand. But the state officers in charge of that group, they they shut things down very quickly and, and got the kids to remember, look, it's okay to disagree and to have different opinions. That's what makes the world work. But you're supposed to be respectful. Um. And just, yeah, seeing those kids get that back under control before any adults ever had to be involved was super um, refreshing. Just knowing that those kids are are respectful and mindful of others and, you know, hey, you guys need to be um, respectful, too. Um, but as a state officer, which I feel like some days I feel like it wasn't very long ago that I was a state officer and other days I'm like, whoa, I am old. And, you know, that was a long time ago. Quit being one of those people that's like back in my day, this is how we did it. Um, but yeah, we, we took charge and I think there's nothing better to help kids grow up and kind of become a young adult than having to, to plan something or be a counselor. Um, you quickly realize that, yeah, you're working with your peers Um, But you're kind of in an authority role and you've got to be the one that's in charge and lay down the law um, and and do things. Otherwise, yeah, those opportunities do go away. Um, And as a state officer, you know, we planned the camps. We had 
um, guidance from our advisors, just like Travis is giving guidance now and the other advisors we have in Colorado. But as state officers, we were, you know, we were in charge. We did all the planning right down to, you know, we need you to get these supplies for us or we want to hire this speaker and their fee is X amount of money. What what other money do we have in our budget to cover all the things that we we want to cover um, and, and working through those logistics. And I know there were things that our advisors did behind the scenes that we, you know, didn't necessarily know about. And I know that's the same way um, for our state officer team now and even as an agent seeing that that backside of things. Um, but still, we we had to be a part of all the planning details and executing things. Um, and I think one of the toughest things as a state officer is when when your peers, um, when you were holding camp for those those senior members, when they would break a rule and you had to be the bad guy and go be like, we told you, you couldn't do this. No boys in girls rooms, no girls in boys rooms. It's past curfew. Get back to where you're supposed to be before we have to go find your agent. You know, that, that's tough because they're your friends and they're your peers, but you're at that level where you're in charge and, and you're supposed to be holding everyone accountable. But I think those are good life lessons because throughout your job, you know, those are things that you're dealing with because you're working with with peers or even people that are older than you and just remembering, hey, you know, I'm I'm in this role. Um, I think those are great life lessons that it teaches those kids that become state officers. And at a lot of our camps, we do have um, counselors. Um, and I think that helps uh, kids decide, do I want to become a state officer? Do I want to hold some sort of higher leadership role um, as a teenager? Because um, they get, you know, a little bit of insight to what it's like before they they're at that point of, oh, I could be a state officer or even other youth organizations. You know, I could hold those those higher leadership roles um, and push myself to do more. So that's a good point, Tiana. I think I stole it from West Virginia. Um, we have our CITs. Um, so they're like middle schoolers, late middle schoolers. And they plan, I work with them on one of our days, and we plan a candle lighting ceremony um, that they offer to the rest of the camp. And I see them, they're really enthusiastic in the planning of it. One, um, because they get to plan the thing, and then they get real nervous to lead the thing. Um, That's kind of a camp closing, if you will. Um, And Craig can fix me up on that better. But um, it is really interesting to watch them try to lead the camp knowing that 20 minutes ago they were being squirrely and singing the wrong lyrics at campfire and doing the wrong things and then to take that turn and now they have to be the role model and I it's neat to see that switch flip for them and they go oh I should stop being such an ornery little cuss and do what I'm told once in a while once in a while yeah and I think it's neat to see too and (laughs) Reflecting back on my experience and now as an agent watching kids, that that fine line between having fun and but still being the role model and not, you know, crossing it. Um, And I think another thing that is neat to watch those kids try to navigate and even myself back as a state officer is there's always those kids that come to camp without a doubt that are like, we don't want to be here. We're not participating. We don't care what you tell us. 
trying to get them engaged and involved in a creative way and relating to them. And, and then eventually, without a doubt, you know, by the end of camp, they're involved. But just trying to figure out how are we going to engage those kids um, and our peers that they don't want to be here, but you're here, so you might as well have fun. Um, and it's always neat to see the kids, you know, engage. And there's always one or two kids that you're like, I just don't want to deal with. But you got to come up with some creative way to to get them involved and, and watching those youth, you know, navigate that too is always cool. Thanks to our guests, NAE 4HYDP President Craig Preeser, Kim Fry, Tiana Garcia, Alan Taggart, and Travis Taylor. This has been a production of the NAE 4HYDP Western Region. The West is the best. Join us for our next episode. Thank you.